Hello, and welcome to the Sonic Fruit Film Podcast, where we aim to celebrate movies through the simple act of talking about our favourites. I'm Bennett Maples, and today I'm joined by the indefinable Adam Shepard, who, in a recent poll, was unanimously voted Sonic Fruit's favourite purchasing manager, and the unrefundable Sam Hode, media academic and picture house employee. In this episode, we're talking about The Untouchables, which was not the examination we'd been seeking of those who failed to cry at the end of Armageddon, but is, in fact, a cracking movie. So where do we begin talking about a De Palma film? I, I think probably any De Palma film, but this one interestingly, I think is interestingly a De Palma film. It is. Um, it's also interesting because it's not one that he originated. 80% probably of De Palma's stuff he writes. You know, he's a auteur, whatever you want to call it, but he would he would write and direct his movies. But this one was very much a job for hire. So... Because um, he's had, an interesting choice for director. Very. I think when you, like when you look at this package, picture. it's really curious, but, but partly why it works so brilliantly. But So he was coming off a couple of quite high-profile pro, high failures. The one body double was, you know, not just a bit of a commercial failure he was kind of reviled by the critics and really taken to task for it then i think he did one called tin men which was a comedy like a fairly low scale comedy but the kind of thing you might have expected somebody like maybe barry levinson to do you know like um no tin men is barry levinson isn't it he did one called wise guys and i get muddled because it's got a similar kind of feel but it was a complete mismatch of director and material and wise guys doesn't really work you know and so he was kind of not really having a very good time. He'd had a couple of flops and what have you, and he really wanted to make Casualties of War. Mm-hmm. But of course, every studio he was going to was saying, "No way, you're you're you've, you've, you're rubbish. You know, you've not had any hits, and we can't, we can't touch you." So he was kind of looking for something to do that would get some cachet in Hollywood again. You know, give him some some sort of bargaining position. And to their credit, the producers when they looked at the script and the package and everything, somebody thought of him as being able to deliver what they wanted to be a lush, great-looking, gorgeous, you know, kind of cinematic reinvention of this TV show. Um, and he did, in spades. But it is... It was it was very much a job for hire. Because um, it's got the De Palma... Absolutely, that's what's... Hallmarks, yeah, hasn't it? Out completely, yeah. Um, there's some very self-indulgent shots, but... It's one of the few De Palma films where I don't just find myself watching it and thinking, oh, that's clever technically. I can really see how he's serving the story by doing things in one shot. Yeah, and I think that's what's really interesting. There's not there's not really any fat on this film at all. The whole film, it just drives forward, hurtles forward the whole time. Um, and he serves that visually. And it also gives him the room to do the flourishes and the you know the steady cams and the crane shots and all the stuff that he loves to do and I'm sure at some point we'll discuss the Odessa Steps homage and all that kind of stuff but all that stuff that's in every De Palma film he's ever done but it's he's got that into this film to serve a huge commercial entertainment cross tick all the boxes interestingly that's kind of one of the things that I think you could also see potentially or I did see potentially as a weakness when I first because I rewatched this last week and I hadn't watched it for many, many, many years. I'm old enough to remember watching it when it came out 
and then I got it on VHS, and then I got widescreen VHS with that innovation, and then DVD, and then Blu-ray. And every time we've kind of repurchased it, it's always one of the first things you kind of repurchase in the new format, but I'd never actually sat and watched it all the way through. You watch bits, because it's always on TV, and but it's one of those films when you're flicking around and it pops up, you don't kind of think, oh, The Untouchables, and skip past it. It's one of those you kind of go, oh, I'll just, I'll just watch this bit. You know, which again, I think is indicative of one of its strengths. It's, it's endless sequences put together that you that you can that are that are worth watching mm-hmm. on their own you know I, um, I find it stylistically really interesting because every time i watch it i think this actually it's 87 i think yeah i'm saying it feels like a 70s film to me and oh, really? somehow that's made it quite timeless when i've revisited it i've found every time i've expected it to feel really dated and it does, but it feels really dated in the same way that I think it felt really dated actually when I first watched it. There's something slightly kitsch, slightly tongue in cheek about the style of it. Um, yeah, there's a you know there's De Niro's slightly hammy in it, and but they, but it works. It's beautifully. I mean, the script obviously is very strong, and that holds those moments. The score, Brilliant. does. I mean, well, yeah, we'll come back to the score in a minute, but it does. It serves all the moments that it needs to serve. Um, and it, it holds that style for me such that actually I don't feel now that it's any more dated than it was when I first watched it. That's really interesting. I'd agree with that. And I would say what my reaction to it, um, which I think was what I was rambling about earlier, was was that initially um, when I started re-watching it, I thought it was a bit weak and that the it felt corny and a bit... Well, the introduction to Elliot Ness and... His marriage is all very schmaltzy. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, she's in the kitchen making his lunch, and she goes out and hands it to him, and and it's and writing him a little love note. I mean, the women in the film, but there's barely any women in the film, and they are fairly poorly served. But, but, and I thought, oh, this isn't how I remember it. This isn't as good as I remember. This is weird, you know. And and everyone in it was very two dimensional. There was no real depth. There was no complexity or lazy. You know, and I thought, God, this is a bit naff. But then. Then you get to the bit on the Canadian border, mm-hmm. where they go, and it and it basically turns into a western. But what, I'll come to that in a minute. But you basically realise that, that, in effect, the whole film is is that is kind of a western. But yeah. and then I suddenly click. I suddenly got it, and I suddenly realised what what I was doing. And it's it's not it's not trying to be the Godfather or Once More Time in America or any of this. There is, it isn't making some grand statement. It's a massive mainstream entertainment in a really really populist genre. And he just directs the hell out of it, you know. Visually, it's just gorgeous, and it, it's like a, it's hyper real, you know. It's not mm. meant to be realistic. Exactly, yeah, I rewatched it, and I thought, bloody hell, this is a bit ripe. That was the word, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then I thought, well, this is really comic book. And now I watched it as a kid, and loved it. And I realised as a kid, because I could understand it, it, the baddies are really bad, and the goodies are really good, you know. And so it's it's that whole, like you say, mainstream populist entertainment. But delivered in such a, I can never say verve, verve bravura yeah. way kind yeah, of thing, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, and I think yeah, it's initially a bit jarring. It's a bit off-putting. It's like, blimey, this is like some wit. And the, the score is very lush or very, you know, mm. it really is kind of knocking you over the head. But then once you click into it and go with it, it's just brilliant entertainment, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and that and obviously we're going to talk about Morricone's score quite a lot, but. <laughs> Each queue, there's loads of different types of queue, and they well, yeah, reuse. You said you said the Canadian border bit. That 
that cue, which I always think is very Elmer Bernstein. When they go riding across and it's yeah. like... That first, I hadn't appreciated that. So that's in it before then. The bit that, twi- that turns me, the bit where I really go, oh, yeah, this is the film I love, is when they're walking over to the post office, post office. Yeah. to kick the door saying. in. Yeah. The, if you walk through this door, you're in for a world of interim, going into a world of trouble. Um, that's the same cue. And it's yeah. just it's such a great, it's, it's such an uplifting great. piece of music. It finished with it as, they, but, as Ness walks away. And, they and it's, he's and not it. playing the shot. It's quite a wide shot of the street. You know, yeah, they're just, not, it's not very close to him at all. But yet the, the sense of momentum is fantastic. And it's, and it, as you say, it's a, it feels quite comic booky. It feels like it, you know, it's like, it is a like a fairy tale. In, you know, they're dealing in kind of, um, tr- what's the word? But the, the, the characters are just, are, are types they're all tropes they're not yeah they're not they're not three-dimensional characters they're not meant to be it's as you said it's black hats white hats goodies baddies um but it's like a western you've got all that simplicity going on but you've got mammoth script which is brilliant isn't it it? well yeah now this is interesting i want to talk about that because yes it's brilliant but if you didn't know it was david mammoth i don't think there's anything particularly mammoth well, you wouldn't expect him it. to be writing something so kind of mainstream. So it it's a tight. Like... It's a brilliantly constructed script. It's tight, and it tight. as it hurtles forward through. But there's not really anything. And it's not truly a literary script. I mean, no. it has been it has been written to play on these elements that we're talking about. Mm. Um, Capone apparently n- never called a hit on them. In fact, specifically had an order with his men that they weren't to be touched because he knew that the backlash of of hurting a treasury officer would be. Mm. You know, would would be untenable. So they were untouchable for that reason. Yeah, not they exactly. were. You can bribe them, but but you know that doesn't make for a good guys and bad no, no, guys. So actually, you know, they've rewritten that in order for it to be much more. You know, shoot out with the good guys, and you know, you don't know who's going to make it, and it, it it heightens. But again, therefore, you wouldn't expect that to be a road that Mammoth goes down. Mm. That feel it feels quite populist. So it is. Yeah, it is a really interesting script from that point of view. The, the number you talk about them crossing the street, I was struck by how many times you see them as their little gang, four or five of them, walking down a street with guns, mm. um, which is where I come back to that, that sort of Western thing going on. They, they fully embrace by the time they get to the Canadian border and it just turns into like a little Western bit. But the whole film is like that. He, mm. that, that street outside their offices... It's almost like a one-street town. We are in Chicago, but you don't really see a lot else of Chicago. You just see that one street, mm. and they walk up and down, and they run across it. And there's a lovely, sh- there's a brilliant scene where they uh, they threaten Elliot Ness's family, mm-hmm. and he calls all the guys over to his house, and they all go over to his house, and then they sort out, they they ship the wife and the child off out of the film for the rest of the movie, you know, <laughs> which is kind of serves that. But they they ship her off, and then they all kind of walk down the street and then break into a jog and that score again that that cue comes in and the, the camera kind of comes up on the crane and goes away but it's it's like that bit in the wild bunch where they all kind of walk in from the wings and join yeah. into a group and then walk off to their doom yes. something you know and it, it's it, i was suddenly i suddenly realized that the whole film is is laid out like a western mm. and i suddenly from a wobbly start where i was re-watching it thinking oh I'm, this is going to be embarrassing i'm going to go in there and i'm not going to like the film i suddenly got it um so you can marvel in the technical mastery of it because there is loads which we can talk about but but the the construction of it which again I, you know to be fair you do have to give to, to mamet as well is just sublime it's brilliant mm. the way they've done the way they did that and i think you've also been spoiled i guess so was 87 so 30 years old now the the cinema scape is different now and complexity and and moral ambiguity and all that stuff is much more commonplace and that kind of grand standing entertainment in that genre d- 
doesn't really happen anymore. If you make, if you make a gangster movie now, you don't you you can't make it simplistically. No, it it would be just dismissed. You know, so you so contextualizing in that way um, is important as well. I think you know if you were to show that to somebody now who's grown up with Godfather, or Sopranos, you know, where you've got layers and layers and layers, you know, amazing stuff. Yeah, they'd probably just dismiss it out of hand. Yeah, Elliot, Elliot Ness, as, as you say, seems quite two-dimensional at the beginning. That sense of he's got to cross the line, yeah. the what are you willing to do? But as you say, you couldn't do now that you know every, everybody crosses the line. We're just waiting for him to do it. You know yeah. that he's got to do that, and, and you know he's like, going oh, to you know, pull your finger out and yeah. go and break some laws. Do you, um, think do you think that's down to Costner or a clever bit of casting? Because I was watching it thinking he's brilliant for that role, isn't he? Because he's kind of a he's bit amazing kind of, casting. Because I mean, that's well, this is like the beginning of a key decade for him, isn't it? He just he goes on. This to was what really broke, wasn't it? He'd had anything. Really. Silverado, he'd been in, and he'd he'd he's had a few roles. Caught people's eye in Silverado, yeah. But I think um, he did No Way Out no way and The Untouchables, and they were both eighty-seven. Right. So they both came out. And I think I'm right in saying Untouchables was the second or third highest grossing movie of the year. Um, but you're right, he is... If you were being uncharitable, you could actually say he's quite wooden in That's, it. He, yeah. He's basically a blank, blank yeah. slate. But And Connery is the is the showy kind of role, isn't he? Yeah. He comes in and, you know, from being this beat cop, he suddenly seems to know everything about Capone's empire and where to go and what to do and all the rest of it. But well, and I was reading up about it. He won the Oscar. I'd forgotten or didn't know. Oh, that. yeah, he, he won got the best supporting actor, yeah. Despite yeah. also being having his accent voted the worst <laughs> accent in. Does in, he even try one? In a I've rewatched it. I'm not even sure he's trying. <laughs> yeah, it? it's yeah. amazing. It's quite something, isn't it? But I think. Uh, but he is a great character in that, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. And, and again, but again, it's quite broad. That, all the performances are very. It is, it's a broad yeah, I, film, I was, you, know, you know. As you were saying that, I love Andy Garcia's character. But actually, just. For, there, it isn't that big. It isn't that big a role. No. It's really at the beginning he comes in and he's, yeah, he just will, you know, pull the gun and he's a great shot. And then he doesn't really do anything until that final scene where suddenly you just go, he's suddenly the coolest guy in the world. Why yeah. wasn't he the coolest yeah. guy That's in the world? That's true, actually. He's kind of like... He stops the pram with one leg yeah, mm. whilst taking out the other so guy and him? then lining up the other yeah. shot. I got yeah. it. yeah. <laughs> And then there's a lovely bit in the office with Elliot where he gets given the... Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's just... He's, he's, it's like his eyes fill up with tears, but he doesn't let any of them amazing, go. Yeah. And you're like, how do you do yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> but they just, they're just they just there. Um, yeah, he's the he's the most reserved performance, in yeah. a way, in the whole film, isn't he? And so he's like the calm and... But again, presumably... I don't think he'd done... He hadn't really, really done much. Anything, much. Really. I mean, he's it very made, young in it, you know, it, it made... Well, it made Costner, it probably made Andy Garcia. It gave Brian De Palma then the hit. So we then got Casualties of War mm-hmm. um, and set him off. Um, so what about the fourth guy, the unfortunate chap in the list? Charles Martin Smith. What did he go on to do, or what had he done? He's been around a while. I, he's he's, he's um, Toad in American Graffiti. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's and he's in Starman. He's the government agent in Starman that is chasing down uh, Jeff Bridges. So don't worry about him. He's he was right. good casting, I think, okay. because yeah. you know he was that he had to be the kind of bookish anonymous one that no one really knew about. So cast someone that no one really knows about yeah although to, to be fair we've just said they didn't really know about any of them except Connery and De Niro at that point to be fair I re- I was struck watching the titles I'd forgotten on the titles you get a separate credit that is just says something like suits by or, yeah. or costumes by Armani. Giorgio Armani, Armani yeah. and so so that that if anything should be the biggest clue as to what you're about to see you know this this film is just that. going this film's going to look yeah. gorgeous regardless of anything else it's going to just look stunning and it does mm-hmm. um, and I think it cuts from those titles to this overhead shot of him in the which chair, is which is brilliant, absolutely beautiful. stunning because it, and he's hidden 
Mm. isn't it so it's like yeah. a, it starts with the reveal of the villain like doesn't it so it, it slowly pans down and no one's doing anything they're you all just standing text, there don't you and then these sh- and he nicks him yeah but he so the, as the camera comes down you've got all these people standing around in the room but nobody's talking there's nothing actually happening in the room while that text is there so you're allowed to read the text and De Niro's just still everyone's just standing still it's like it feels really weird because you're like waiting for the play to start or something they're all just standing there and then as the camera pans down to him and then it gets down onto his face. You then get the, the literal like reveal as the, the, the towel comes off, and then the dialogue starts, and then they start asking questions. And that's, that's the cue to where you can speak now. But it's lovely because it sets up not the not just the look and the feel of the film, but it sets up that sense of the way he's going to use the camera and things, yeah. which is so brilliant. And you know, and he does that used. stuff in his sleep. He's just he just creates. You know, it's a lovely cinemascope canvas. You know, yeah. so you've got a glorious wide room. Similar stuff like the, the opulence. Like he did in, you know, in, well, slightly different, I guess, Endgame. But in Scarface, you get an awful lot. When he, when, once he's starting to get his power and his money, you get these incredibly. There's an amazing shot in Scarface of Michelle Pfeiffer in this colossal bath, yeah, in this colossal bathroom, you know, and she's just lost in this, you know, gregarious like wealth show-off room, you know. And it, and it, anyway, but that's a different film. Something right? he does something, but so he that, does that kind of he, stuff. When they, there's a great long, is it? Like, one shot tracking shot he goes up the stairs to Capone's got like the top floor of this hotel yeah, hasn't he yeah. and, but again it's Morricone's music cue yeah. which and suggests fun, this fantastic brass yeah fanfare is that the and there's a, is that, there's just a jazzy bit in, yeah. in there as well yeah. isn't there? It's and it's just opulent and yeah, just you yeah. just get the sense that yeah it's everything comes together to tell you what it is very sort of directed filmmaking in terms yeah, of yeah you, you can't know. you can't mistake <laughs> any intent you know you know exactly who everybody is who you're supposed to root for you you know you to be honest you know where the story's going you know what's going to happen it's about how you get there and the the, Cal- the canadian border one it is a great scene because you get told what's happening on that bridge purely through the images there's mm. no exposition there's no which again you wouldn't expect in a kind of a mammoth script there's not a lot of though they don't describe to you what's happening on that bridge you just see Something you don't see very much well, anymore. Say, actually, again, you see like, the binocular cutout. That's another one of those moments where I just thought this is very seventies. Yeah, you don't see that anymore, do you? It's really out, funny. Yeah, but anyway, so you see it. the binocular cutout as they're following the truck on, and then the other truck on, and then two people talking, on it, and you, and he just tells you what's happening with no dialogue, yeah. and the image. But also, and this, since it's this podcast, we should also touch on this. Although he's renowned for and he's brilliant as a visual director, he also really understands sound. Mm. The sound in it is used really interestingly yeah. for a for a mainstream well, movie. We, I, I noticed rewatching it there's some there's some really clunky ADR. But I think that's because it's De Palma, there's so much camera use. Yeah. There, there's obviously an awful lot of times where they're just You're not going to be time. able to use the dialogue because you couldn't get a sound man in there because yeah. he's going to go from the wide shot right into the close up yeah. or you know, he's going to track with everybody and there's probably fifteen people walking with a dolly behind it and and the worst the when the alderman comes to bribe Costner, there's a horrible bit when he's kicking the alderman out of the office, right. and all of that is just yeah, the 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 looping on that has just been is awful. But um, but that, I think that does that also speaks to what you were saying that he kind of has to understand sound because I think there's an awful lot of you know if you're going to do shots like that, you're going to be in post reconstructing yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of the sound, and you've then got the opportunity to think well, about how course, it's affecting you and whether you want everything back yeah. in there or whether there's a, a, additional things that you want that you would. And he made blowout. Have you seen blowout? Yeah. Yeah, well, which is a all film about all about sound. So you've got you've got like a visual text all about sound. You yeah. know, I mean, so he does get it. He well, knows. yeah, it, I mean, now you're saying it, 
the Odessa step scene, which we you know oh, have to yeah. talk about. The sound in that is amazing. You know, an extraordinarily brave. Yeah, yeah. you get to the, the, the massive set piece, and yeah. you just basically drop all the sound, and then you pick out. You just get the those bits little moments of someone's footsteps. Guide you. A little bit of a conversation. The door opens. Squeak of the clunk the, yeah. of the wheel, and when it then kicks, and it's like the bang, bang. It's like a relentless uh, countdown as those. Yeah. And that's yeah, as you said, that's a it's a mainstream commercial movie, and they just drop it. There's no like grandstanding score accompanying that or anything. Yeah. It's just sparse. It's just bang. well, no, the, the score is extraordinary through that actually because it's there's almost like a um, like music box, music box, thing. yeah, 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 um, playing, and then the score through that. So it's the the music box is almost played as if it's in the room. That, and then there's this just really unsettling little moments of, of, of that was Morricone's idea I remember that I'm sure De Palma said something about he was um, he they had like you know they came up with like seven eight different ideas for that scene how they were going to play that and then Morricone said let's do this and I'm pretty sure actually in well, it plays that, the department plays like, the kid doesn't it and I it, don't know and it that. keeps you focused on yeah. the fact that whatever's happening there's this mother with this kid that's in the, the jeopardy and of course Ness is just and I've never child, thought about it? it before I mean we've said it previously but it's a it's a different film being a father. Mm. Um, I, I was watching the opening scene where that little girl runs out with a briefcase. I had to look away. I can't believe I, it. Yeah, that's. I, um, but it sets up this scene. Yeah. Because you're then watching it and thinking that you know Anybody's they're not they're not game. afraid to say little you know kids are going to get killed in this war as well, and here's a kid in a pram who's clearly in the midst of it. And Ness has just had his own child, isn't he? So there's yeah. all that. So you, you really feel his. Him being torn between, I need to go and get I've that guy to do I, this job, but I, I, I can't, can't just let a mother let that happen, you know. Yeah. And that's you know the the kind of you know the, the ultimate saintly goodness. Um, I remember at the time people were comparing Costner to Jimmy Stewart. You know, you can imagine he's that is that kind of perfect character, isn't he? In mm. this, and so he can't let that pram, let, he can't let that woman drag that pram up there. You know, he's going to go and help, and and then as you say, when it's makes you wait for it, there, doesn't he? Because oh, I was it's fantastic, yeah. absolutely brilliant. It's just to go, yeah. It's superbly judged though, because that could be really over the top. Yeah, he knows exactly when. You're right. He makes you wait, but he knows exactly when he's got to stop making you wait, and he has yeah. to deliver it. Yeah. And, it, and well, it we've, just, we've just said there's so many extreme elements in that done. in that scene, but yet it just feels beautifully paced. And to and to, to navigate you through that, there's so much going on, but mm. you you never lose track of like where you are in the scene, where you are on the steps, yeah. where every, where everybody is. I always forget like just you know there's there's soldiers or navy guys yeah. running down, and they yeah. get caught in the crossfire, and there's yeah. loads of moving parts, isn't there? Yeah. Like you say, but you well, know that's exactly. another. Potemkin reference, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah, the same right. as on the, on the steps. But um, that wasn't actually in the script. Did really? you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, no. that was really... Apparently, David Mamet had written um, like a big action sequence for that scene. So when they go to get the accountant, he was going to be on the, he was going oh, to be on the, on the train, train. And they were going to like follow him onto the train and then they were going to like chase him through the train and then the train was going to crash into another train and there was going to be a big crash and they were going to get the guy. But it was, again, it was going to be the big kind of action set piece of the movie which this has become the kind of centrepiece of the movie, although it's not a big action set piece as such. But, but the budget, there was nothing in the budget for that. And they were like, you can't, you can't do that. There's no way, you know, whatever. So, so that scene was actually that... Perhaps why it kind of almost stands out almost so much in the film is that is pure De Palma. Because yeah. he, had to, he had to come up with something and he said to them, you know, well, give me some steps and give me a pram, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And he, I mean, he, when he talks about it, he kind of says, I was basically doing it on the fly. Now, we both know that in reality, when you've got that kind of crew and that kind of, it's not quite on the fly, but I do believe that it was um, as uh, on the fly as a massive Hollywood production like that can be. You know, it wasn't scripted. He was 
he'd created the setups and created the shots and was kind of piecing it together as he went and then created it in the editing suite, which is where he's a master. Um, but yeah, it wasn't even in the script. It was just, what can I do? Oh, I'll just, you know, and you, you, all right, you start off with a fairly good starting point. You say, I'll, I'll think of a film I can rip off. I'll do that incredibly famous sequence. But he really does put a lovely Again, spin that on could have backfired Exactly. Oh, absolutely. You know, if that's, you know, if you're immediately going to, well, this is just a rip off of, then it's got to be really, really good. And, you know, he does just pull it off. And I guess I'd probably not, it's probably not a, too much of a stretch to say that by choosing to homage that film, it's maybe not going to be that familiar to a mainstream audience anyway, you know. So, so again, you, you, the, you know, a lot of the film critics obviously would pick up on that, and they did, and so on. But your general moviegoer perhaps won't be that well versed in silent Russian cinema, you know. So, it, it would just be an incredibly well constructed, yeah. suspenseful sequence, wouldn't it? And it is. Yeah, it is. It's interesting you're saying um, where where he really kind of dominated was in the edit suite. That's I found that really interesting. There's there's a few shots where it's a single shot and it's following you know and it's all beautifully constructed, and then it'll cut to the reverse, mm. and then it'll cut back to the shot. It's like he's not afraid to go. Oh, I've done this whole shot and I've done it. Where a lot of directors you just think, no, do you know what? We spent three days getting that yeah, shot. We'll right. take it right. We're to the not end. cutting out of it. Yeah. He knows to go. No, it's not complete unless we have that bit of information. Yeah. Um, the, the the flip side of that though, one of my favourite shots in it, I, I'd never really noticed before, but. There's a shot where Elliot Ness comes out of his office and everything's falling apart a bit towards the beginning. And Connery said that he's not interested in joining the team. And then he turns up. He's sitting outside, right? Um, and Connery sees it. Uh, uh, Elliot Ness sees him um, and walks down the corridor towards him. And you don't see Sean Connery. Mm. You follow Elliot Ness all the way down the corridor. You see his reaction to the fact that Sean Connery's turned up. And he walks all the way up to him. And then we go behind Sean Connery's shoulder and at that point Sean Connery turns around slightly and you see it's him but you don't need to it's all in Kevin yeah. Costner's reaction yeah. and it's just so brilliantly played that he understands that we know of yeah. course Sean Connery's going to join the team of course that moment is going to happen this is that moment we don't need to see Connery we can just watch Kevin Costner's reaction to it mm. and it's just one shot following him all the way down the corridor backwards and then he joins us and walks out it's just amazing yeah which speaks again to what we were talking about isn't it where it's just all um, you know where it's going you know yeah. what's going to happen there's no surprises in this film but it doesn't matter because um, it's just a, f- a rip roaring yeah. gorgeously shot and his understanding just, of the moment seems yeah he amazing. he. I yeah I've been a big fan and I am still a big fan of the Palmer I, I, he just understands the medium we talked about the sound but he, the visual stuff is just it's you know, peerless. He just knows There's another exactly the, the scene where um, Capone caves the guy's head in with the the bat, bat which is a, again a beautifully mastered scene. Yeah. Um, but again, you don't see the caving. You see no. the aftermath. There is, you know, there yeah. is a shot just in case you don't understand what's happened. Let's just establish that. And there's this a lovely flicker in in Robert De Niro's eyes in that scene. You know, it's, he's easy to to mimic, and and that that performance, perhaps that face has been the one that has been mimicked ever since and so it, it it you could look at it and think he's you know he's De Niro being De Niro but I don't think in 87 he was being De Niro I think mm. he was just he was giving just a performance establishing it's become, those performances perhaps yeah. it's become Hammy you know but it wasn't I don't think particularly at the time but there's a lovely bit when he's walking around and he he, he kind of carries on his dialogue but his eyes kind of flick and there's just a, just a fleeting expression across his face of just like just pure evil yeah. that, goes, that is just a brilliant you know, for all his 
for whatever you know they say about him. I mean, that is a fantastic, subtle bit of acting. And each time I in watch a broad that scene. role, in, I mean, I mean, he is really he is the pantomime villain, isn't he? He basically drops into the film. He's probably not. What, it'd be interesting to add up scenes, his screen yeah, time. Yeah. Four or five scenes. Each one is very, very succinct, and it's just you know. He's really bad. He's a really bad guy. He's really evil. It's just bang, bang, bang. He's, he, he is just the black hat villain, but he still manages to just give it a nuance, even when he hasn't got that much to work with, really. Um, and that's fantastic, that little flicker on his face there. He just, you know, it just sends chills up his spine, even though you know what's about. And it really does, like I say, each time I watch that scene, I, I can never remember which of the, because it goes round the table, doesn't it? Yeah. At, I think, table level. Yeah. And you see them all sitting there, and they're big, you know... Like quite Mr. Creer, so some of them are big, yeah. op, you know, fat guys, and and I think it goes round past the guy and then goes back yeah. to him. You think there's a couple of times you think you've got it. You think, oh, he's going to be the one. And you go, oh no, I think it's yeah. going to be him. And then they go back to that guy again. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's yeah. I mean now, yeah, now you'd, you'd you'd have all sorts of horrible, gory squishing, but it's just a. It's actually yeah, it's, it's actually not a squish. It's like it's a played in sound. It's like a real a tin, clunk. That, talk about yeah. sound, sound yeah. again. Yeah, it's like a. But it's also again, it's played in reaction. Yeah, it's it's across the you know there's shots across the table and you're just seeing everybody and everybody has been very kind of cool and oh yeah we're going to follow this man we're going to follow it oh yeah anything he says we're just going to hear here and and agree with and then suddenly you're getting you know they're they're really wincing and you know one of them goes oh Jesus Christ yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like that's almost like a realization of what yeah, they're actually involved with they ca- they can't not themselves. react to that moment and as as a result you can't not react yeah. to that moment and Morricone exactly does this whole Herman thing and yeah. it gives this horrible discordant note as On it that pans final yeah, word, yeah yeah, yeah. And there's, a, and there's a little bit of splatter, isn't there? Like the um, yeah. alien yeah. dinner scene that you just get flump, and just across the side of someone's face and everything. And that's all you need because, yeah. you know, you know what it takes to happen to someone's head for that to happen. And it, yeah. it's great. Yeah, really good. And interestingly, you you know, it's quite, it, that's actually quite restrained in a way for yeah. De Palma because, you know, his track record up to that point, as I say, you know, the previous yeah. films, particularly body dubbing, is pretty full on. Um, and I know he said as well that when... Um, uh, Charles Martin Smith's character gets done in the lift. They were dressing that scene, you know, for the for the shoot for that day and putting all the blood all over the walls and all over him and everything. And De Palma apparently came in and said, Oh no, 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 that's too much. You know, you need to you need to take that back. We can't he it was almost like he didn't want to because you don't actually see him get shot either, do you? No. And that would that's almost like that it. would be too much. Yeah. In this in this arena, in this film, in what we're trying to achieve. You know, in one of his own, he might well have done it, but it was like, you know, it's it's too, it's shocking enough that that we've killed him. We don't want blood splattered there in every wall, and I don't need you to see him being shot. And in some ways, it was it's much more effective that you then you talk about reactions again. That's what he does in there, isn't it? You see Sean Connery walk into the lift, and you see Connery's reaction before you see Charles Martin Smith hanging up on the on his yeah. with his collar, and that's really upsetting. That he's that's almost worse. That he's just been kind of hung on this hook in such a horror, like a demeaning, just discarded way, mm. when he was such a nice little chap, you know, who, who'd never held a gun until he'd met Ness, you know, and that's brilliantly done, that scene, for being less showy again, which isn't what you would normally associate with De Palma, but he knows when to and when not to. Yeah. He really does in well, this Well, because, uh, yeah, I was going to say, that scene in contrast to Connery's death yeah which is very showy yeah and i think brilliant i mean yeah. I, I i remember from the first time i saw the film remembering that 
that POV shot of the guy climbing in the window yeah. and going through the house. That's and he's, typical he's of Palmer, isn't it? He's well. not where you think he's going to be and he's behind you, but he doesn't seem to have noticed. And it's like, you know, he's creeping up on him and then he pulls a gun. He, he knew he was there the whole time and everything's going to be okay. And He walks out the door. But, but, you know, all in one shot, but done to serve the yeah. to serve the moment. Yeah. But contrastingly, that, then you do see Gore. I mean, he, he gets he shot really to bits. Gets real, but yeah. it's Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to believe he's dead unless you really see... I you think know. it's one of the great death scenes. That bit where they come into the flat and they find him on the floor and he's reaching and you think he's reaching for his you yeah, know, religious... <laughs> and he's reaching to tell him and then yeah, his and dying breath is it. that whole what are you prepared to do kind of thing. And Yeah, yeah brilliant. Connery, yeah, and, and Cosmo does well in that as well. The reaction there, you know, he, he, you feel his yeah. loss in that moment to be, you know... Yeah, I mean, he's, as, as you say, Sean Connery's character is so much the big character. Yeah, to remove that from the dynamic seems like such an unlikely thing. You really don't feel like that's going to happen. I mean, in the in the no. in the cliched kind of you know, as you say, the good guys and the bad guys. That good guy's not going to die. I mean, Andy Garcia's character maybe you'd think would be yeah. disposable in a in a gunfire. Well, it's kind of I get it's kind of this is off the top of my head, so bear with me. But it's kind of like Obi Wan going, isn't it? Because he's the voice of wisdom to the young yeah. apprentice, and then. He's Ellen gone, the and then here, yeah, and then Elliot Ness has to then pick it up and and just run with it. With all you needed really was a little voiceover from Sean Connery, and they, they, <laughs> that would all work together. But um, that's that. That's quite a classic structure in in itself as well. I, th- I agree with what you're saying, but that, it is also quite quite classic, isn't it? The old wise one imparts his wisdom, you know, kind of creates Elliot Ness, gives him the tools he needs, and then leaves yeah. the scene, and then Ness then takes that on, and then you get that great showdown in the court and all the rest of it and he's, um, yeah what about the ending the whole thing on the roof and the pushing him off and everything how do you respond to because I always forget that there's an extra bit after the the Odessa steps yeah bit, you know, no the, I'm the same actually as it when it cut to the court I was I, I, I did think this time oh yeah it's got this oh yeah, this yeah that is such, it's such an iconic cut. scene that Odessa steps you think it's the finale yeah, and it's it not like, even the finale yeah, you know yeah um, because that bit where they pull him out of the court, because he's got a, he's spotted he's got a gun, and then he and he lights the match, or you know, and, and, he, and again, and all of that, you know, nowadays you almost get you'd, you'd come, they'd probably do a little insert flashback to just yeah. make sure you knew where Racine Street was, yeah. but you, he just trusts that you will remember that, yeah. because when he shot it the first time, well, it's also again scripting. He makes such a big deal of it, you know, because Costner says. You know, Costner's trying to oh, kind of yeah, bring yeah, it yeah. out of him and says... I had a says, friend who used to live there. Oh, yeah, That's true, I'd forgotten that line. Yeah, he does um, say that. So he sort of... It does it in dialogue, which, yeah. is, which is great. And that whole... And when he comes out of the the court, De Palma suddenly drops the camera really low, right doesn't down. he? And, and shoots right up high. And you see that incredible ceiling, which mm, is like a... Vaulted kind of... Yeah, or like a religious... Like a church window or something on the ceiling. Is, mm. And it stays down really low as they're moving out. And it just... You just know something's going to happen. Like the 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 world's kind of gone off its axis at that point, and you're waiting for it to what's gone wrong, what's happening, and and then it, again that it's just teased out. You know, you get you realise who he Costner suddenly realises who he is. Is he going to run away? Then he pulls the gun, and that whole scene then goes on for ages. Up the up the stairs, there's like a yeah. couple who are like shot as he's running up yeah. the stairs. They fall, and then and then that bit on yeah where he pushes them off. And, and, and it's quite that is it is actually quite shocking. Not mm. not in a gore kind of a way, you know, but. That's that's quite a shocking thing to do for Ness at that. You know, to mm. to you know, he he throws the guy off a roof. Yeah. That's like really quite unpleasant and brutal thing to do. You know, and he's been pushed to that point. And that is, um, you talked about the girl at the beginning, and I agree. Like even thirty years later now, and I knew that scene was coming. That still, 
that's that's sho- that's a very shocking scene. It's it kills played a off, young girl, though, isn't you know? it? There's the, mo- the moment where um, he's climbing down the rope mm. um, and has the gun trained on him, and then releases and yeah. very, 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 you know, in close up, releases the trigger of the, yeah. the gun. He isn't going to shoot him, and you see the guy react and and think, "Oh, I've got away with this. This yeah. is I'm, I'm off." And then this he guy, says, "This guy's not going to shoot me." Squealed, stuck Irish pig. Yeah, Irish know, pig, yeah. And it's, did he say something like that? But because that's, that's the contrast. Brutal. It's like he he's he's the man who won't do that. Yeah. Um, and then he knows that actually the only way that he's going to get this guy is. Yeah, because he's got the mayor. He's got. He's got everybody. Yeah, hasn't he? That's yeah. the thing. And that's a, and it's a hands-on. You know, he doesn't shoot him from six feet away. He he takes him by the lapels and he actually throws him off the roof. Yeah. You know, that's that's bloody literally bloodied hands. You know. He, He's right in there, and that. Yeah. And again, talking about, we've talked about the construction and how simplistic it is in 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 that sense. That you're not, you don't question that behaviour in any way. No. That's absolutely supposed to happen. Whereas now, I think you get much more of a conflicted, you know, her- hero or anti-hero in that moment. You know, whereas this is like, no, he absolutely deserves to be thrown off that thing, and there's no regret or. Yeah. Guilt or anything in that, you know, that's just bang straight. And what a face that guy's got! It's just horrible. He's evil, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he's just always evil in everything he's in, isn't he? And they dress him, and but then they do, and then they dress white. him in a white suit. So yeah. so, and I remember that because he's kind of, so he doesn't really do. It's not a great very much. Suit though, is it? Yeah, that's the thing. You know he's evil because <laughs> yeah. the suit doesn't fit very well. But you, but you, so you always you always spot him. He's always yeah. visible in the background of scenes, and so he floats about as just this kind of evil presence. But because he, he didn't actually have to he doesn't do or say really anything throughout the film but he's just always there and you always see him so you know he's like you know Capone's kind of agent winding around doing his dirty work and it that's a that's a really simple um idea yeah. I mean a he's a baddie in a white hat but to dress him in that whole white suit I'm sure that's about you know you you spot him he's 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 like a little angel of death for Capone I'm, I'm a little yeah you know it's again but so and it's just also beautifully stylized which could be a weakness like we said but I think I don't think it is no once you suddenly I, it just took me a little while having not seen it for 20 years to sudden to key back in but once you once you get where he's coming from it's sublime so much to enjoy yeah and a great closing line where she says <laughs> prohibition's going to be recalled what are you going to do and does he just have a drink, have a drink? Yeah. And it, and it cranes yeah. up and again you're back in that but delivered, delivered in a really cheesy way but I was thinking the music I mean again that cue, that yeah. cue kicks in so it just supports it so brilliantly because I had a moment when I heard that line of oh that's how it ends but, but, but then the yeah. music comes in and I was like it's like because it's like that though There's a, you know you know. I always think of it in every in many many films um, you have like what I think of it as like the drunk on the bench sort of moment so something crazy will happen and then you'll cut to a drunk on the bench you'll kind of Look at his drink and go, oh, and like toss it away, like, oh, I'm never doing that again. And it's sort of that jokey moment. And it's in loads of films. It's even in Back to the Future when, it, when the car disappears, you know, he yeah. kind of looks at his drink as well. And it's supposed to be funny, but, you know, you've seen it like a thousand times. You're like, oh, that's so cheesy. And he even manages, like, on the bridge in the Canadian Mountie sequence, Charles Martin Smith kills or, dis, or you know, disarms one of these guys. And the, and the, the truck with all the whiskey in it has been riddled with bullets yeah. and, the, and the drink's coming out. And he even has, like, a kind of a like shifty look around and, and like splashes the whiskey into his mouth and it's quite a it's a bit kind of sticky you know it's a bit yeah. jokey but you just kind of let it go because in the because the whole film is I'm not suggesting the film's shtick it's way more you know way more uh, clever than that and sophisticated than that but it that kind of broad 
ness it's a quite a broad joke really kind of a, it just kind of it doesn't jar you out it kind of fits and you don't resent it you don't think oh that's well, cheap. Also, he's been quite like that last line you don't he's been think... too quite two-dimensional up to that point hasn't yeah he? and the yeah. fact that he's then you know he's seen andy garcia get shot on the shoulder and mm. and just you know that just tips him over the edge and he's got a gun so he just shoots yeah. everybody inside yeah. um it's his moment isn't it that yeah really. absolutely. so you kind of need a closure for that because we're then going into the so like the last line the which could be and can be considered cheesy it's kind of like in that fairy tale comic book world that you described earlier is that it's it kind of it just work, it just fits it doesn't jar it doesn't bother you like it would in something else mm. brilliant on which note, I'd like to thank Sam and Adam for joining me, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Don't forget you can email us at podcast at sonicfruit.co.uk, or you can tweet at us via at sonic underscore fruit. The Sonic Fruit Film Podcast is produced by Sonic Fruit, with music by Carl Cole and engineering by Jake Kenny and Jordan Brett. For more information, check out sonicfruit.co.uk. Mm-hmm.